0: Instagram Live, Facebook Live, YouTube Live, Twitter Live, and on Philippi.org. And uh, welcome back to the Letter to Philippi Live broadcast. For those who have been with us yesterday, we completed the study through Paul's letter to Philippi, the four chapters of of the letter to Philippi, and today we continue our study. I'm actually going back to the background of the letter, which we only briefly covered because I wanted to, when we first started on June 1st, I wanted to jump right into looking at the text of, of the letter to Philippi. So I kind of needed a brief introduction to the book. Today we'll be looking at the background of the letter to Philippians, a background to, to Paul's writing the letter to Philippi. And uh, then tomorrow we'll be looking at at the letter itself, the structure of the letter, the the background of where where it was written. So to so to continue our study in, in Philippians, we'll be now looking at the background to the book and some basic information about the the writing of the book, the time that was written, where it was written, and more as we continue this ongoing look into Paul's letter to Philippi. So uh, we can start with a. Uh, Word of prayer, and then we will go into our study. Oh Lord, you are good. We thank you. We bless your holy name. We thank you, Lord, that we have this opportunity to come to you and study your word, study the holy words of your righteous servant, Paul. Help us, Lord, to become more and more and more in Messiah each day as we listen to and hear these words. And we thank you for Messiah Yeshua, who is our life, in whose name we pray. Amen. So again, welcome to welcome to Letter to Philippi Live. We'll be uh, looking at the background letter to the Philippians today. And uh, my name is Sean Imsley. I am your teacher, and I am the founder of Letter to Philippi, a new Messianic Jewish theological organization. And uh, this is our first initiative: the Letter to Philippi Live daily broadcasts. So today we'll be looking at the background to the letter to the Philippians information that, uh, that uh, I only briefly covered when we first started on June 1st. So we could jump right into verse, chapter, chapter 1, verse 1. And this is from Acts eight. But you will receive power when the Ruach of Kodesh comes upon you. You will be my witnesses, both in Yerushalayim and all Yehuda and Shomron, indeed to the ends of the earth." With these words, the mission to reach the world with the message of Yeshua began. Starting with Jerusalem and Judea, the message of Yeshua spread among the Jews of the land. The earliest Messianic community was a movement of Jews. With the message of Yeshua moving to the ends of the earth, the doors were opened to the Gentile world. The earliest followers of Messiah Yeshua faith unearthed themselves as a form of Judaism. They were one form of Judaism, of the multiple Judaisms, Judaism's of the second century, of the Second Temple period. Jewish scholar Jacob Meissner of a blessed memory wrote. He described this faith, he described the faith of the early Jewish followers Yeshua as one of the Judaisms of the Second Temple era. Nusner, rather than saying that there was just one monolithic Judaism that had gone from, from Avraham to today, in the second Temple period, he said there are multiple Judaisms. You know, we know of the, the followers of Yeshua, the, the Messianic Jews. We know of the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Zealots, the Qumran community. So there are multiple different perspectives on Judaism, multiple Judaisms that were practiced in the Second Temple era. And the followers of Yeshua, the Messianic Jews Jews are the followers of the way, were no, another one of the multiple Judaisms of the Second Temple era. Early on, a debate arose in the Messianic community over Gentiles coming to Yeshua faith and their relation with the Torah and Jewish practices, especially circumcision for men. Being that there was such a clear understanding among the early Jewish followers of Yeshua that their faith was Judaism, that they, they had not abandoned Judaism for another religion, but they had accepted the Messiah. Promised in in the Jewish faith, promised within in Judaism, that they that the at that in that understanding, those who were coming to follow the God of Israel were to be Jews. And now, as the good news of the Messiah has has, has moved beyond beyond the Jewish world into the Gentile world, and Gentiles were coming to understand Yeshua as, as their Lord and Messiah. There was a debate over whether these gentiles had to also become jews first and to convert to judaism before being fully brought into the people of god into the messianic community that it was so deeply understood that this was a jewish faith and a jewish faith of jews that the only way that many could only understand gentiles entering into the into the messian community by converting to judaism also to convert to judaism and accept yeshua faith this caused a debate in the early Messianic community between those who said the gentiles had to convert to judaism before becoming part of the messian jewish community or those like paul who said the gentiles could come to faith as righteous gentiles and their faith alone in Yeshua brought them into relationship with the God of Israel and, and within the Commonwealth of Israel this caused a debate that was that was that we see in Acts chapter 15 when men from Judah went to Antioch to teach the Gentile believers you can't be saved unless you undergo the law in the manner prescribed by Moshe. So there are those who, who went, went from Jerusalem to Antioch and were telling the Gentiles who were coming to faith in Antioch they had to undergo break law, they had to be circumcised, and they had to, in essence, convert to Judaism and become followers of Yeshua. This teaching conflicted with what Paul and Barnabas taught the Gentiles that they were able to come to Yeshua faith as Gentiles, become righteous Gentiles, they did not have to convert to Judaism to become part of the people of God. So there was there were these two conflicting views and it came to the council in Jerusalem, the leadership of the Messianic community under Yaakov, the brother of Messiah Yeshua. After hearing debate among both sides, Yaakov, James, the brother of Yeshua, and the leader of the Messianic community in Jerusalem, made this made this this suggestion and put this forward therefore my opinion is that we should not put obstacles in the way of the Gentiles returning to God instead we should write them a letter telling them to abstain from things polluted by idols for fornication for what is strangled and from blood Yaakov's opinion about eliminating the obstacles of circumcision as well as full Torah observance and submitting Full Torah observance for Gentiles coming to Yeshua of faith, and substituting less stringent practices, resulting in the Council's unanimous ruling. This this wisdom, this this decision that that came through through Yaakov, was was affirmed unanimously by the the Jerusalem Council that that the Gentiles were not to to have anything. Put in their way of them coming to know Yeshua faith, except that they were given these four, these four, uh, four rules for, for uh, ways of of having table fellowship with their Jewish brothers and sisters. That they were to, to, to uh, abstain from things polluted by idols, or fornication, for one is strangled from blood. These basic four four commandments were were given to the gentiles to for them to have contact with their jewish brothers and sisters so as not to cause any any uh, problems, any any issues or controversy between them and their Jewish brothers and sisters who were who were following the, the Torah commands, who were living as observant Jews after this was after this was was done this this vote the unanimous ruling of the council a letter was sent out to the communities of the gentiles telling them that they did not have to convert to Judaism or be circumcised but they could come in to become full members of the messianic community by becoming followers of Yeshua that in this ruling the, the Jerusalem council set forward that Jews would come to Yeshua faith as Jews and would live their lives as Jewish followers of Yeshua following Torah commands circumcising their sons on the eighth day and living as Jews following the Messiah of Israel and the God of Israel and for Gentiles they were to come to faith in the God of Israel by their faith trust in the Messiah Yeshua and they were to come to God as redeemed Gentiles and would not need to convert to Judaism and become fully part of the Messianic community. This ruling supported two important truths that can be missed by modern scholars, be they Christian or Jewish. And this is an important insight that I, that I came, came to from this, from this ruling of the Jerusalem Council. Firstly, the fact that Gentile Torah observance, including circumcision, was it was was first the fact that Gentiles having to observe Torah, including circumcision, was an issue to the Messianic Jewish community. Demonstrated the importance of continuing Torah observance and practice for Judaism for the Messianic Jews. The fact that that there were those among the Messianic community. Who were, who were adamant that Gentiles had to take on full Torah observance, including circumcision, showed the importance of circumcision and Torah observance for the Messian Jewish community, that if they were, if they were looking to compel these Gentiles coming to Yeshua faith to be circumcised and to fully become Torah observant Jews, they too would have had to have been in their own lives understood that Yeshua faith meant being a Torah faithful Jew. And the fact that this was an important this is is, and the fact that this was important to to them showed the importance of living as faithful Jews for the Messian Jewish community. That they they knew it was so important to their own lives that they were compelling it on on the Gentiles. Though we know that the that the council would reject reject the need for Gentiles to become Torah observant and to be circumcised. The fact that, that it was an issue of concern showed that there even these many years after Yeshua, that uh, there was was a, a consistent understanding among Messian Jews that Yeshua faith was tied to Torah observance. Many Christian commenters suggest that this ruling by the Jerusalem Council ended Torah observance for all followers of Yeshua, both Jews and Gentiles. Bringing the issue of the Jewish Council would have been a non-issue if this is true. Many many commentaries that you find from Christian scholars will say that in this ruling, not only did the Jerusalem Council say that Gentiles coming to Yeshua faith did not have to be circumcised. Did not have to follow, follow the Torah, but they also said that all. But they said that 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 included the Jewish believers too. That, that in this ruling, the Yaakov and the leaders of the Messianic Jewish community in, in Jerusalem ended the requirement for all followers of Yeshua to follow, follow the Torah, and we know that this is this is 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 contrasted by the, the way of life of the, of the messian Jews of the first century, and of Paul's own life, that even later in his life he re- referred to himself as a Pharisee, one who was a strict observer of Torah commands. So we know this is also an incorrect view, that coming from the Christian community, that this passage means that no follower of Yeshua was to be circumcised and follow Jewish commands. And this is is something that we can we we can know from the way of life of the Jewish followers of Yeshua. If the Messian Jews themselves, if it's true as as Christian scholars say, if the Messian Jews themselves had already decided to abandon Torah as Yeshua followers, it seems pointless and even cruel for them to require Gentiles to honor Torah if they Jews had already abandoned it. And this is important insight that I, that I came about is that, that if, if the, it is true that the, that this was a rejection of Torah for Jewish believers that the, that the council is putting forward, that it would really seem to be cruel on the part of, of these, of these, uh, these Jews who wanted Gentiles to, to be circumcised and to observe Torah. If they themselves had already rejected it, if if the the Jewish followers of Yeshua rejected Torah living, but now they wanted to force that upon Gentiles, it would be really cruel for them to do that—to put an obstacle in the way of these Gentiles coming to Yeshua faith. That if they no longer honor the Torah by them compelling Gentiles to to observe Torah, it would seem to be a very cruel thing for them to do, for them to, to reject it in their own lives, but compel it on others. The Acts account Documenting the Jerusalem Council debate confirms Torah observance as an important part of missing Jewish faith, rather than demonstrating early abandonment of Jewish life and Torah observance of the earliest Yeshua followers. So in this, in this, this first point, we can see that the fact that that there was an issue of Gentiles observing Torah showed that the Jewish followers of Yeshua still were focused on living their lives as Jews, as observant Jews. They understood Yeshua faith as a Torah living faith. And they they wanted to compel that upon the Gentiles coming to Yeshua faith. They so understood their faith as Judaism within in Jewish life. And at this point the only way for gentiles to enter into the people of god into enter the jewish faith was through conversion for them becoming coming jews but now we have what you can speak is the mystery of the gospel that gentiles can come to yeshua faith and come to follow the god of israel being brought into the commonwealth of israel by faith alone in yeshua by their their faith fresh in yeshua they are fully entered into the people of God, as righteous Gentiles, not having to convert to Judaism, but they could come to God as righteous ones from the nations. A second secondary point is the Jerusalem Council asserted that Gentiles coming to Yeshua faith could and should come to Yeshua faith as Gentiles. This is the mystery of the gospel, that through Yeshua the way was open for Gentiles to join with the people of God, but remain Gentiles. No longer would Gentiles need to convert to Judaism and to observe circumcision for males and twerp observance for all. But now by trusting Yeshua, Gentiles could become part of the people of God as Gentiles. The Jerusalem Council defended not only the unity of the now multinational people of God, but also the distinct responsibilities and, re- and relationship to the Torah for Jews and Gentiles. For Jews coming to Yeshua faith, was accepting the Messiah of Israel, promised in the Tanakh, and continuing to live as Jews, ordering their life according to Torah commands. Messianic Jews weren't abandoning Judaism and Torah, but were embracing Israel's Messiah which would include the empowerment from the spirit of God to grow in Torah living as Yeshua promised from John 14. If you love me, you will keep my commands and I'll ask the father and will give you another comforting counselor like me, the spirit of truth to be with you forever. So we see here that, that, that the Jerusalem council here defended that the, the understanding that Jews who were coming to Yeshua faith were coming as Jews, embracing the Messiah of Israel, and were to continue to live their lives as Jews, circumcising their sons on the eighth day, and following Torah commands. For Gentiles, in contrast, coming to Yeshua faith was accepting the Messiah of Israel, promising the Tanakh, and continuing to live as redeemed Gentiles. Unlike the Jewish followers of Yeshua, these Gentile Yeshua followers were not required to observe torah faithful lives. Yet the the Jerusalem Council provided basic ethical and moral commands as a start, with the apostolic teaching to further lead them to live as redeemed Gentiles. Thus Gentiles were included into the body of Messiah as Gentiles and did not require conversion to Judaism to be accepted. So we see that for the Gentiles coming to Yeshua faith, they were accepting the Messiah of Israel, Yeshua as their Lord, their master, and in, and coming into relationship with the God of Israel. And they were coming to the God of Israel as redeemed Gentiles, that, that they were able to fully enter into the body of Messiah, into the faith community. Along with their their Messianic Jewish brothers and sisters, but they could come, come they sh- could and should come as righteous Gentiles, as Gentiles who would come to accept the God of Israel, Messiah of Israel, in order their lives according to the, the scriptures of Israel. In in this we see that the Jerusalem Council set the basis for what. My mentor, Dr. Mark Kinzer, has called the bilateral Ecclesia, the one body of Messiah with two distinct ways of living Yeshua faith. The Jewish way of Torah observance for Messianic Jews, usually lived within a Messianic synagogue, or a Messianic congregation, and the Gentile way of freedom or Torah based solely on Yeshua faith, the lives of our brothers and sisters within the church world. Such a model should be the basis for the 21st century body of Messiah as well, a Jewish Torah faithful in Judaism and a multinational Christianity consisting of the faithful from the nations who trust in Yeshua and live unbound to Torah observance. Rather than the unilateral view of all believers in Yeshua being free from the Torah as seen in much of the church's teaching, and the unilateral view of all Yeshua believers being subjected to Torah observance as held by the Hebrew roots groups, the Jerusalem Council ratified, ratified faith in one Messiah Yeshua for all and two ways of living Yeshua faith, one for Jews and one for Gentiles, distinct paths rounded in a united faith. Understood this way, the Jerusalem Council decision shows God hand in both Judaism and Christianity, and the unity our Messiah called both Jewish and Gentile followers to model, while living as distinct communities and two important witnesses to our world, a Jewish Messianic community and a Gentile Messianic community. The leaders of the Messianic Jewish community in Jerusalem stated clearly The Gentiles coming to Yeshua faith did not need to become Jews first before accepting Yeshua as Messiah, which would require ritual circumcision for males and Torah observance for males and females. Instead, faith alone in the crucified and risen Yeshua was the only necessary entry step for those from the nations to join with the people of God, the Jewish people. Together, they followed the God of Israel and opened up the message to the whole world. With the issue of Gentiles coming to Yeshua faith as Gentiles was resolved, Paul is ready to bring this newly endorsed statement to the cities he visited in his previous missionary journey to Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. In Acts 16, Paul received a vision that opened up the spread of the good news of Yeshua the Messiah to Macedonia, modern-day Greece, and the first entry into the European continent of the message of the Messiah by Paul. And Paul received this received this vision in Acts 16 where we re, read, There a vision appeared to Shaul at night. A man from Macedonia was standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. As soon as he had seen the vision we lost no time getting ready to leave for Macedonia, where we concluded that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. After experiencing this vision, Paul set out immediately to share the message of Yeshua with the people of Macedonia. In Acts 16.12, Paul comes to Philippi, a Roman colony and major city of Macedonia that was named after Philip II the father of Alexander the Great. Philippi, the city, city the, that Paul wrote this letter to, was named after Philip II, the father of Alexander the Great. Emperor Augustus declared Philippi's status as a Roman colony after Philippi had been in the site of his and Mark Anthony's victory over Brutus and Cassius, the lead assassins of Julius Caesar. In 42 BCE. Later Philippi, Augustus, later, later in Phil, near Philippi, Augustus would defeat Mark Antony, which guaranteed his place as successor to Julius Caesar. Augustus was actually the ruler when Messiah, when Messiah Yeshua was born. And he became known as Julius, as, as uh, Caesar Augustus. He named the city in honor of the Julian family, calling the Colonia Julia Augusta, Philippensis. Although the majority of the population of Philippi was Greek, the administration of the political hierarchy was held by Romans. And the religion of Philippi included elements of Greek, Roman, Thracian, Egyptian, and other religions, including hero worship and the mixing of various religions we've talked about. So this city of Philippi that Paul was, that he has received a vision to go to, to go to Macedonia, the first city he goes to is was to be Philippi the first city in the European continent and this was a roman colony and it was actually actually originally named after philip ii the the father of of, uh, of uh, alexander the great the the noted greek leader he named it after his father philip ii and we also see that importance in in the roman culture because Near near Philippi was where was where uh, where Cassius and Brutus, the assass- lead assassins of Julius Caesar, were defeated, and there was also also where 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 uh, Mark Anthony was eventually d- defeated by by Octavian, would become Caesar Augustus, who was the ruler when Yeshua was born, the emperor when Yeshua was born. So this, this was this place had significance in both both the Greek culture. I mean it was named after Philip II, the father of Alexander the Great, and also because it was at, in, this, in this area of, of Philippi that Caesar Augustus secured his place as the successor to uh, Julius Caesar in his place as the first of the Roman emperors. Unlike most of the cities that Paul would visit on his missionary journeys, Philippi does not appear to have a large enough Jewish community to support an actual synagogue, which would require at least 10 men to have a minion. According to Acts 16-13, those who met for prayer on Shabbat met at the riverside, and only worshipers mentioned were women. Interesting enough, Lydia, the one woman mentioned by name, is a God-fearer which could mean that the Jewish worship of the Philippi may have been made up of God-fearers, Gentile adherents to Judaism, without a Jewish population. It would also be possible that some of these women were converts to Judaism, given that conversion to Judaism by Gentile women was easier for them, as no circumcision was required, which resulted in more female conversions. The following comments on, on Philippians 1:1 support this possibility. And this is from Marcus Bachmel, who was a, a major source that I used in my research on this book of Philippians, from his commentary on Philippians. Without concluding too much from silence, these observance do lend a heightened significance to the unusual presence of an exclusivity or any right predominantly female Sabbath congregation. This phenomenon may well correspond to the common numerical Predominance of women among proselytes and Godfearers due partly to the absence of circumcision as a deterrent, and partly to the relatively more respected status of women within Judaism. So Bachmel holds up the idea that that this was that the the fact that, that there was that there was not a, a full congregation, there wasn't a minion, for there to be a synagogue in Philippi, that there was just a, a group of women. Met at the riverside, showed that there was that there was a God fearing or even a a a movement of Jewish converts among women who was who were prominent in Philippi, and they were they were there being that being that that Judaism offered offered a a, a more respected status for women than in the Greek or Roman cultures, and also because they could come in to into the Jewish faith without having to be circumcised by like men do, men would be required to. The Messianic community in Philippi began with Lydia and her household coming to believe in Yeshua. By the inclusion of Paul's letter to Philippi, by the inclusion of Paul's first visit to Philippi in Acts 1640, a group of Yeshua followers appears to be meeting at Lydia's house which would be the beginning of the Philippian Messianic community to whom Paul will send his letter. So as we look at the background of of what happened here in this letter to Philippi, the Philippian community began with Lydia. Lydia was one of the women that was meeting, was praying on Shabbat at the riverside with other women who were practicing Judaism, whether as God-fearers or as converts to Judaism. And we see that by the end of, of the time that Paul was first in in Philippi, we reading about in Acts 16. Not only had Lydia become a believer in Yeshua, her whole household became believers in Yeshua, and there was already already a messian community. There was actually meeting in her home. There was a a, a congregation of, of Yeshua followers meeting in her home. So we see that Paul came came to, to Philippi, established this community. And by the time he left, there was the beginnings of, of, of a house community or house church in, in Lydia's home. And this leads us into looking at, at, at some more of the, of, the, of the issues about the writing of the letter, where it was written, and, uh, and we will look at that now. The, the letter was written by Paul. From from Rome, probably in 62 of the Common Era, during his final imprisonment in as was recorded in Acts 28, which is 14 to 31. And this this, this is my understanding. This is what, as I said, said that there will there will be there are there, there are two major opinions among biblical scholars. One of this was written in Rome, which I which is the, the more traditional view, and there's also other scholars like N.T. wright for example who holds that it was actually in ephesus that paul wrote this letter during during an early imprisonment before before the later time of this of this if as i said they would be written during his final imprisonment which would have been around 62 of the common era Philippians is one of four books written by paul which are known as the prison epistles letters written in prison which include ephesians Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. All four of these letters were written from prison by Paul and during during his during one of his imprisonments. As I said that in looking at Philippians, uh, holding that it was written from Rome during his final imprisonment. All four letters were imprisoned based on the above. It's held that all the four letters were written by Paul's imprisonment in Rome, which you read about in Acts 28, 30 through 31. Which reads, Charles remained two years in a place he rented for himself, and he continued receiving all who came to him, openly without hindrance, proclaiming the kingdom of Messiah, and teaching about the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. This final imprisonment before his execution by Nero was under a form of house arrest, where Paul was confined to a rented room for the last two years of his life. The Rome was the place of writing as I hold, is based on the historic understanding from church history up until the end of the 18th century. And we and we can see see, see that from, from the earliest times of church history up till the 18th century, it was understood that this letter was written from Rome. And there's also the internal evidence in Philippians reference to the whole palace and the emperor's household, that the whole palace was. Were sending greetings to the people of Philippi, in the emperor's household there were those who were who were of the faith of the Messiah, who were sending words of encouragement to the Philippian. So internally in the letter we have these two references to the whole palace and the emperor's household, which would have been in Rome where uh, Nero was ruling. Also noteworthy is the severe nature of Paul's impending judgment, mentioned in in chapter one verses nineteen to twenty three. Where Paul talks about his his impending impending death, that he was, he knew that that his time on earth was coming to an end, that he was he was going to be facing the execution and facing the executioner soon. And he talked about how he wanted to focus as much of his life that he had left on serving the Messiah. So given this impending judgment it would seem that Paul would be writing this from his final final imprisonment before his execution in Rome, which would have been in the early 60s. I say 62 here in my commentary. His execution was a a possibility, meaning he would be facing the emperor judge, making Rome the location for the writing of this letter. As I said earlier, some modern scholars, such as N.T. Wright, have proposed that either Caesarea or Ephesus is a locale, location of the writing of this letter. There are other scholars that understand the, the late nature of the letter, which also point, points to Rome. There are those who see, that, see this as a, as a, a letter that was written late in Paul's life, which would put him in, in Rome rather than in his earlier imprisonments in, in Ephesus or Caesarea. Uh, this and this late nature it comes from those who who see that that uh, the reference of the, of a more advanced christology in the messianic hymn that there are those who believe that it was later in development in the messianic community that they, there was a full understanding of the divine nature of yeshua that what we read about in Acts, Acts, in the philippians chapter 2 in the messianic hymn was a, a later understanding of yeshua so people see it as written later, later in time. And also, there's the reference to elders and deacons in, in, uh, chapter one, verse one, where Paul talks about, about the, the there being a, a leadership structure in the Messianic community in Philippi. And this has caused, caused scholars to see these as later developments in, in the history of the Messianic community. So then they, can, they, they say that it would be written later in Paul's life. In this commentary, and in this my teaching here, we're going to consider Rome as the place of writing. Many scholars believe that this letter is a combination of two or even three letters Paul sent to Philippi that has been edited into one letter. So, so there are those, those who, who believe that this, what we have is the letter to Philippi today, the book of Philippians, is actually a combination of multiple letters that Paul sent to Philippi which were brought together into one letter for or the one book of Philippians is a combination of multiple letters because they're 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 contrasting themes through the book they're actually actually chapter 3 verse 1 begins with a phrase in conclusion though there is a chapter 4 so because of this there are those, those scholars who believe, believe that, it, that there were multiple letters sent to Philippi. that We have now in a, in a one combined combined letter, and this is something that, that Paula Ferguson brought out in her, her book on Paul the Pagan's Apostle, that the letter to Philippi was a combination of multiple letters which were edited together into what we have today. An apostle breakdown of the letter into three letters is seen as the first letter as chapter four, verses 10 through 20, where Paul thanks the Philippians for their gifts to him, which is the which was now the concluding part of what we have as letters, where Paul's thanking them for the gift giving to him. We see a second letter from, from uh, 1-1 to 3-1, as I, said, as I said, 3-1 begins with the words in. Phrase in conclusion, and finally, the third letter being being chapter 4, verses 4 through 7 and 21 through 23, warning against division, and the third being 3 2 through 4 3, 8 through 9, an attack on false teachers. Carson and Moo in their commentary on the new testament propose three letters that are combined into our current one letter it may seem odd proposed it is not three letters combined into one but sections of three letters combined together as we see from the portions being from separate chapters of the current book this can be understood as modern scholars seeing the three letters being written on one theme letter one on the philippines gift Letter two, on division in the community. And letter three, on false teachers. The Greek word that Paul used for letters, plural, which can bolster these scholars and biblical interpreters who see Paul's letter to the Philippians as a combination of letters to the Philippians. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul took the common Hellenistic letter format and used it as a source of instruction and teaching of the early Messianic community. In so doing, Paul transferred a modern, a mode primal personal communication into a tool for expanding the work of the gospel as a transmission of Messianic theology and thought. As one of the early church leaders and writers, Polycarp, who was a student of the apostle John, admired how Paul taught in person and through his writing, which he interestingly wrote about in his own Philippian letter known as the Epistle of Polycarp to the Philippians. And this is from Polycarp, he wrote, Where neither I nor any other such one can come up to the wisdom of the blessed and glorified Paul, he when among you accurately and steadfastly taught the word of truth. In the presence of those who were then alive, and when absent from you, he wrote you a letter. While originally targeted to particular congregations, Paul's letters also served as teaching tools for the other communities, as we see documented in Paul's letter to the Colossians, where he instructs them to share their letter with the Messianic community in Laodicea. And This is from Colossians 4.16. After this letter has been read to you, have it read also in the congregation of the Laodiceans, and you in turn read the letter that will come from Laodicea. Nearly 2,000 years later, Paul's letters are studied today and continue to teach every new generation of Yeshua followers. Paul's letter reveals several main purposes and themes. First, Paul was motivated to write the Philippians to thank them for the gifts they had sent him upon hearing he was in Rome. Secondly, Paul expressed a gratitude to his relationship with the Philippians, the shared love Paul had for the Philippians and theirs for Paul, define their relationship. The mutual love is reflected in Paul's personal letter, focusing on his encouragement and thankfulness Whereas his dear friends in his life and ministry. Within this personal context, Paul writes openly about his imprisonment and lauds the work of Timothy and Epaphroditus on behalf of them. Finally, building on the Philippians' closest and mutual affection for Paul, he speaks to them as their spiritual leader, calling them to unity grounded in humility, the kind of humility exemplified in the life and death of Messiah Yeshua, which he describes in Philippians 2 of the Messianic Hymn. Paul urged humility by the Philippians, calling them to unite as an example for Yeshua, thereby continuing to spread the good news. So this letter to the people of Philippi Throughout, as as for those who have seen our previous class, where we actually went through the book verse by verse, Paul has the theme of humility that runs throughout the whole book. We see in chapter 1, he thinks about his his humility and self-sacrifice. In chapter 2, we have the Messianic hymn, where we see the greatest example of humility, Messiah Yeshua. Later in chapter 2, we see the examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus, two fellow workers of Paul who shared Messiah-like humility. In chapter 3, we get what Dr. Stern called a negative example of humility, pride, in, the, in those who, who, were, who were proud over, over their status, who were coming to, to distract from the faith of the believers in Philippi. And also, we see another issue of negative, negative humility, pride, that was keeping Evodi and Syndicate two women leaders in Philippi, apart in Paul, in the fourth chapter of this letter. So throughout the book, we see this theme of, of humility, the theme of modeling the self-sacrifice of Messiah Yeshua. And this, this is the background of this letter, this letter Is meant to share the deep love that Paul has for the Philippians. And in that deep love, he calls them to model the humility and self sacrifice of the Messiah. And that theme of humility and self sacrifice runs throughout the whole of the book, the focus being on becoming more and more and more in Messiah. And Paul calls the Philippians and us nearly 2,000 years later to. To take on that humility, to model that humility, and to model the Messiah, as Paul called the Philippians, he calls us also to take on that Messiah-like humility, that Messiah-like self-sacrifice. So this will conclude our the background to the letter of Philippians. As I said that I, I wanted to, when on June first when I started this study, I wanted to jump right into the actual text of the book. Rather than spending a whole session, like we did today, going through the background of the book and and the background of up about Philippi, so so now now after we went through the verse verse study, now this was, this was a good time to actually look back at the background of the book and the the background material that leads up to this letter to Philippi, so. Thank you for watching. This is the Letter to Philippi live broadcast, coming to you Monday through Friday at 12 p.m. Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time, 10 p.m. Jerusalem time. And uh, we today we looked at the background of Letter to Philippians, and uh, we'll look to to where we're going next in our our continuing look here at Paul's letter to Philippi. And appreciate all those who are watching. And if you have any questions, go to, to You can fill out our uh, our uh, contact form. If you have any questions, you can you can purchase my commentary on Philippians on the resources page. You can leave a prayer request while we're praying for you, as so we talked about in in Philippians four six, the importance of bringing everything to God in prayer. You make a contribution to our work on our giving page. And you can find about other, other uh, initiatives that we're doing. You can watch all of these videos that, that we've done so far since June 1st on the teaching page. For those who uh, subscribe to Apple Podcasts, we are now available on Apple Podcasts. Just search for Letter to Philippi and you can subscribe there. And, and you will be able to download all of our classes to this point and we'll be adding adding more as they, as they come out. And that will conclude our kind of name. Thank you for watching the final word of prayer and we can go on with our day. Oh Lord, we thank you for this time to be together. We thank you for Yeshua who is our life. We thank you, Lord, for these words of your righteous servant, Paul. And in the name of Yeshua, the name above all names we pray. Amen. So thank you for watching. This is Letter to Philippi Live from lettertophilippi.org. My name is Sean Inslee and I've been your teacher. And we'll continue our journey through Paul's letter to Philippi, and we'll see you, see you tomorrow. If you miss any of these classes, just go to to lettertophilippi.org and uh, watch or listen to those that are available, and we're also available on YouTube, just look for letter to Philippi. So, thank you for watching, and have a good day, everyone.